Welcome to the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Now, here's your host, Associate Editor Mark Demko. So, hey, everybody, welcome to the Bow Hunting Podcast. I am super excited today. You know, we're here in the winter, and um, for the vast majority of bow hunters, your season's over. Unless you're hunting in the, some of the states in the south, like Alabama, maybe Mississippi, um, the hunting seasons are primarily over. Uh, but we're getting to another part of uh, the whole deer hunting world that I love, and that's cooking with your harvest. And so um, very excited. Today we have Rick and Jen Wheatley with us on the podcast. Welcome, guys. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know you guys have a lot going on, so thank you. It's our pleasure. Thanks for having us. Yeah, now, now I will say that Jen has done a lot of writing for the Outdoor Sportsman's Group. You find her recipes on our websites all the time. Um, uh, Rick and Jen, you also do the Food for Hunters website, and you uh, authored the Hunting for Food a cookbook. And you, so you do a lot of cooking. Uh, not only with wild game, but also with game birds and things like that. So uh, we might touch on that at some point in the podcast, but the vast majority of our um, listeners and our subscribers to Peterson's bow hunting are um, deer hunters. So we're going to start with that. Uh, and, you know, I am going to embarrass myself here a little bit. I grew up in a hunting family. Obviously, I'm a bow hunter. I've been so for a long time. But um, uh, back when I started um, hunting, there wasn't a food network and things like that. And uh, my family would broil steak under the broiler. And you can imagine if you put a, a venison steak in, in, in the oven, how bad that's going to come out. And the cookbooks at the time were, you know, you'd make sloppy joes using uh, canned sandwich and things like that. And certainly 30 years later, we've involved a lot. And that's why I'm so excited to have you guys. And you, you do a lot of different things um, with venison. And, um, you know, you go on your website, you've done things like, you know, Egyptian venison and onion sauce and, uh, Slovenian stew. And so, you know, it's, you have a lot of different cultures that you sort of embrace and incorporate into your cooking. Um, but, but Rick, you, you were the first when you started hunting growing up and you've hunted a long time. Um, but what I want to ask the two of you is, is where did that love for the culinary aspect come from? Um, cause a lot of people hunt, but they may not want to spend as much time in the kitchen or how to get started. How did you take what you were harvesting and transform it into great dishes? I would have to blame my mom for that. She was a great cook. And um, I was always fascinated where she would take the raw materials, uh, basically the meat, and be able to turn it into something that was just so good. Uh, my mom, she was Mexican, and so we got a lot of Mexican influence or flavored dishes. And it kind of got me to the thinking early on that really with venison and all, it's very versatile as far as, if you call it, ethnic foods, foods from around the world. And, uh, you know, there's so much you can do with it. A lot of people are still kind of stuck on the wrapping it in bacon, throw it on the grill, which is good. You know, nothing wrong with that. But there is a lot more that you can do with it. We both kind of came from that same direction, too, and uh, where you can just do a lot with it. And like you said, the different recipes on our uh, website kind of reflect that from different parts of the world. Yeah, and, and I want to add, you know, we talked about it, well, the family group and how we would make them. Well, um, when I met my wife, uh, she's from England. She had been cooking since she was six years old. So she brought a lot of her dishes and recipes over here. My um, background is um, uh, Eastern European heritage. And so I'd make things like halukis and some of the other things with venison. And then um, when we first got together, all I don't know, quarter century, it wasn't so easy to find great um, Thai dishes and things like that. 
but uh, we would get some cookbooks and experiment. And so we sort of just took it. So I call it an amalgamation. We're starting to blend all these different cultures together. And that set us on the right road. And I got to give my wife all the credit. She's an amazing cook. But, uh, uh, you know, let's start with um, you guys both deer hunt. Um, when you get a deer, um, you know, you want to, you know, to field dress it as fast as you can, if possible, you want to cool the meat down where you can. But there's probably a lot of things that hunters maybe don't think of uh, other than trying to keep a, um, the animal from getting bacteria, things like that, where you can do to really start the process of ensuring you have great tasting meat when you get into the kitchen. So what are the things you need to be conscious of when you're field dressing the deer? To me, it really starts off as you release the arrow or pull the trigger, make sure you've got a good shot. Make sure it's a quick killing shot. Um, you know, bow hunting does take a little bit longer if the deer does run, but they'll bleed out pretty quick if you've made a good shot. And uh, get that animal down where they don't have a lot of adrenaline and other things going in them, which can help taint the meat a bit. And so to me, that's where it all starts. And then uh, once you know that deer is, you know, is dead, get it opened up, get it cooling down. Uh, people in the warmer areas definitely do that. If you've got an ice chest too in your truck or, you know, keep some ice in it, mm -hmm. stick it in the body cavity too. You know, you want to get that meat cooled down. Us that are a little bit more Northern areas, you know, usually November, you know, December come around, it's already pretty darn cold. So we can just let the weather do it for us. And uh, one thing I'd like to add is uh, if you accidentally nick the guts a little bit and get kind of that intestinal juices or whatever, um, spilling all over the place, it's okay to wash that cavity out with water. Um, just make sure that you dry it very well afterwards because moisture does promote bacterial growth. And this is especially important if you live in warmer, humid areas. I have to tell you, it's interesting you said that because uh, I got a buck this year in Pennsylvania. You'd think in early November that it would be pretty cool. <laughs> that day was beginning in November, hit 78 degrees for the high. Wow. You made like you wouldn't believe. And I made a, a good killing shot, got some of the vitals, but because mm -hmm. of the angle, it also hit the gut. And so um, it was uh, I did exactly what you said. And so it's funny that you brought that up because you know, I was thinking back and obviously every situation is different, but you want to make sure that you are thinking about the um, entire process from the time you start field dressing the animal and cooling down as quickly as possible. It's, it's really important. So, you know, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is um, what your thoughts are on like aging the deer. Do you like to let your deer hang when you get one? I, and I know everybody has different thoughts on that. So I'd love to hear your perspective. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, so after an animal dies, it goes through this period called rigor mortis. It's when it's, um, it's muscles and it's, it's tendons, it's joints really, um, I guess, lock up. And when you cut into deer and eat deer while it's still in rigor mortis, it's not going to be as flavorful and it's going to taste or feel more tougher, chewier. So if you're going to hang deer, you want to try and hang it for as long as you know rigor mortis well you want to hang it for at least a couple of days so rigor mortis can dissipate um but for us we like to take it a little further you know we we've hung deer for as long as two weeks maybe a week if weather or space allows and that really helps um the enzymes and the muscles break down uh, muscle tissue and you get a more flavorful and tender end result doing that so you know takeaway is hang deer for at least two to three days for that rigor mortis to go away before doing anything with it. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, I've, I've heard so many different perspectives on that, but you know, 
that makes tremendous sense. And obviously, you're a place where you can keep it cool or whatever and let it hang longer. That's that's a great option. Now, I think I think you know when you think of venison, it's it's obviously tremendous as far as flavor, very lean, healthy cut of meat. But because it doesn't have a ton of fat in most areas, it can dry out quickly. So I'd, I'd love to hear what tips you have for if you want to take it with a couple different cuts or whatever. What tips you have when people are making venison dishes? How do you try and keep that meat in good shape so it's not dried out and really tough when you're eating it? Um, we like leaving the skin on. Some people will take the skin off right away. The skin will help. Uh, Protect it, be a barrier against the drying out process of the air onto the meat. And uh, the skin only comes off right when we go ahead and decide to butcher the deer. We break it down. And as, as far as cooking it, um, you either cook venison fast and hot or slow and moist. There is no in between. It's not like beef where you have a little bit buffer of that fat, Extra fat that can keep the meat moist with venison. It's so lean, you either cook it medium rare or high heat or like i said low and slow like a stew or a braise or chili um so that's my rule for basically all wild game you know and that's phenomenal it's, it's much what we follow here in our house we follow that same approach like if we'll do a tenderloin on the grill uh, we try to weed everything and luckily my daughter grew up on venison so she likes to eat it all medium rare if we're going to grill it we're all in the same uh, boat there we all like it medium rare to rare um we use a, a grilling techniques and sometimes we'll do a marinade. Actually, I'll, I'll ask you, do you guys have a favorite marinade when you're use, when you're working with venison? And that could be whether it's deer or elk or whatever. Is, you have a couple of marinades that you really like to use and um, why is that? We, we don't reach for a marinade very often, but when we do, uh, one of our favorites is, um, it's called chimichurri. It's kind of a yeah. self-made marinade with, made with a lot of, uh, parsley and cilantro, um, onion, a little bit of vinegar, and it really helps to kind of tenderize kind of tougher, tougher cuts like um, the top round or bottom round or sirloin, which is where we like to get our kebabs from or, you know, those tougher steaks that are really good for marinades uh, you'll find in those areas. And something else, too, for you guys, it may do some bow hunting for squirrel, too. Um, it is fantastic with squirrel. Absolutely wonderful. And um, I also like to do a balsamic vinegar and uh -huh. kind of a juniper berry. It's pretty classic marinade. Or, you know, if I'm not doing balsamic vinegar, I'll probably do red wine. That bit of acid helps kind of tenderize things a little bit. Yep. Absolutely. Now, Rick, because you brought up, I was going to ask you later on, for both of you, um, I was going to ask you, what is your favorite game meat to eat? Uh, you mentioned squirrel. I'll be honest, I've never eaten squirrel in my life. But I've eaten seal. So a lot of people, you know, most people have never eaten seal. I'm just curious, do you have a favorite, whether it's elk or moose? If you could only have one game animal the rest of your life, or bird, what would it be? Um, you know, if you asked me a couple of years ago, I would say venison. But now I've kind of leaned towards waterfowl. I just love, I just love a good fat mallard. Um, but venison is a pretty close second. It's, you know, you, sh you shoot a bird, you only get so much meat, but with deer, you shoot one deer, you can eat for months, you know? Yeah. That's, 
that's a great thing about deer and it's so versatile as well. All the different, different cuts that you can get from deer, you know, it's, you know, it's a feast whenever we get, get a deer down. So I still like medicine uh, because there's so much meat. I like all the different things you can do with certain cuts because you're going to take different cuts and cook them not like you would another cut or what have you. Each one is kind of has their specialty you can do with it. Mm -hmm. Well, let's look at a couple different cuts and, and I'm going to start by asking you, is there an unsung or an unheralded cut, maybe a, a cut of the, the deer that people tend to overlook that's actually really good if you know how to prepare it? I mean, everybody knows uh, the little tenderloins and the back of the shop are great. Right. But is there another thing that you say, man, people knew how to cook this, it's phenomenal. Oh boy, if I were to go first, I would pick the neck and the shanks. Unfortunately, and it's yeah. probably hereditary generation by generation. Those are two cuts that always end up usually in the burger pile. And um, they have their own uniqueness, as I kind of mentioned before, that you can do with them. Uh, neck, I, can, I will just, I go crazy over that. And Jen's done some wonderful dishes with the shanks too. I mean, she can go ahead and talk about those dishes there, but um, I really like those two, two pieces of meat there. Yep. And I would concur with that. Uh, with shank, you have so much silver skin and connective tissue in it. When you slow cook that with a low, slow heat with a lot of moisture, it just becomes melt in your mouth tender that that silver skin just takes on this this kind of unctuous texture. Texture um, and flavor. That's kind of like, you know, like you would get from a good brisket that's been slow cooked. Um, and that takes patience. It's just, you know, you put it in a slow cooker or you braise it, give it some time. Uh, I think people tend to um, get a little impatient. Like they'll, they'll try to cook something, it'll come out, it'll be too tough. And they think, oh, I've ruined it. No, I mean, every animal is different. You know, a shanks from one animal is going to take longer to cook than shanks from a younger animal. So you kind of have to roll with it a little bit when you cook wild game, because not two animals are going to be the same. Um, you know, with cuts like that, just time and 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 low heat and moisture is is going to do its magic, and you just have to be patient and just you know check periodically. It will get there. Don't rush it. Yeah, in the now, same way. Interesting, you mentioned about the shanks. Um, what's a recipe that you like to make? The two of you like to make with the shanks? Um, also, buko has kind of been the last few years has been like the dish to make shanks. Um, I think uh, the hunting world has become more privy to it for the last few years. It's Persian, uh, a Persian soup too that she does, and there's a braised Persian shank that I love doing as well. It's got a lot of great meal Eastern spices in it. Um, they're both low, slow, you know, types of dishes that you can serve over mashed potatoes or rice or, you know, very hearty uh, dishes for, for the winter time. So we like to cook very similar to the, the way you guys like to cook with a lot of um, dishes simmer. We'll use a, a cast iron pot or we'll do a roasting pan and slow kick it. But I'm curious, have you ever used an Instapot? And have you ever used an Instapot for any venison dishes? We just have never taken that step and tried it. We have an Instapot and I've used it a total of two times. And I think Instapots are good 
um, if you don't have a lot of time. Uh-huh. But it just doesn't allow the meat and the sauce or the stew or whatever you're making to develop really good flavor. You just can't rush that. So I, you know, I've, I've done a venison stew in it in the past and I just, you know, it's, it just didn't uh, live up to, to what I usually get if I were to slow break something in an oven for, you know, much longer. There's just some things it's time. It adds, you can add the flavor to it. It just, it just takes time. Right. Like Jen said earlier, it's good in a pinch. It has its place. Yeah. But, and that's why we, we haven't used ours as much for that because, you know, you do need to give uh, let's say venison, a little TLC we've done now we have made chili in it. Um, we just took some, some pork, some pronghorn, some deer, and we made chili and that yeah. came out. Okay. But even then, you will notice subtle differences in the flavor than if you yeah. put it in a cast iron pot and things like that. So thank you for that. I just wondered if maybe, you know, there were some drifts to that, but. Uh, um, no, it takes, it takes time for flavors to develop, to develop and for ingredients to kind of marry with each other uh, with those types of dishes. So we don't really reach for Instant Pot very, much, very often. No. You know, the other thing I wanted to ask, you have a, a lot of different stews uh, on your website. You can go and, and, and please, Visit uh, Food for Hunters uh, website. You have incredible recipes on that. I don't know, you must have 50 or 60 recipes listed there. You have several different types of stews you like to make. Uh, and again, they probably come from all across the world. Is there one stew in particular you like to make with venison? Do you have one that stands out to you? And, and talk a little bit about what makes that so special or unique. Uh, oh, goulash. Yeah, yeah that's, that's very good. There's a goulash one that she does. And uh, it was just fantastic. It's a it's a venison stew, basically, with a lot of uh, Hungarian sweet paprika, a lot of onions, cooks very low and slow. It's not a complicated dish, but, you know, you put some time and love into it and it comes out phenomenal at the end. And that's one we like to reach for uh, during the winter. What's nice, too, is when you have somebody that is from the motherland. And they'll write you and tell you it's just like their mother or grandmother made or what have you. And that's really a good compliment right there. I would take those you know, over most anything else. It's, it's we, good to hear. And whenever we make international dishes, we do try to um, do our research, make sure we're, we're, we are respecting, you know, other people's cultures, other people's recipes and their family's recipes and, you know, give credit where it's due. Yeah, we don't want to do like an Americanized version of it. We want to try to stick with the original. I love that. And you, you will see a lot of contemporary takes on things. I mean, that's a nice thing about cooking. Everybody can custom tailor to what they right. like and how they want to experiment. But uh, yeah, that, and that's what we do with a, a lot of the dishes we make. Uh, my wife, Allison, and I, you know, especially like you look at, like she'll make a shepherd's pie or I'll make some of the, the, the dishes the, that my family has passed down from Poland and things like that. And so... Um, but the uh, UK, it's really nice. Yeah, the UK, the UK is kind of interesting because people just, there's a lot more wild game at shop, in the shops and restaurants than there are in the US. Yeah, and, and throughout Europe, and, and, and I'll be honest, my wife doesn't hunt, but she's always said, you harvest an animal, I'll prepare it and we'll eat it. And like I said, my daughter has grown up now, she's 16, we've been eating it our whole life, she loves it, my wife loves it, I love it. And, and yeah, the, 
it, it is interesting because I think, you know, like wild boar and, and venison deer and stuff are much more accepted, you know, in, in the restaurants in Europe. You don't see right. them here a lot in the menu, menus right. in, in our restaurants and things like that here. But, uh, um, you know, I, I did want to ask you, and this is, I told you when we started this call, I was going to embarrass myself. Well, the other thing is, you know, and a lot of times if I'm busy, I'll take my deer to a butcher to have a process. And the one thing of all the things we've done with venison that I can never seem to get to come out well is making a good venison burger. Now, we, as I mentioned, we don't meet him right, but for whatever reason, uh, um, it just doesn't come out well for me. What's the key to making great venison burgers? The first thing I think of is now, obviously, I'm going to ask you, you need to add some kind of fat into it or no? Um, yes, we do always add a little bit of fat in there. Venison is so lean. And for me, what makes a good burger? A good burger has to be kind of greasy a little bit for it to taste good. At least for me, like, you know, that sensation of fat. So we do add uh, a little bit of pork fat in all our venison burger. Um, and another thing to keep in mind is that to get the best burger, you should grind meat before you cook it. You know, it's, it's okay to use pre-ground frozen meat, but what happens is when you grind meat, you expose um, a lot more surface area and then you freeze that. And then those ice crystals that form starts cutting into that meat, which releases a lot of moisture. If you've never ever noticed when you thaw a bag of pre-ground venison, venison burger, there's like moisture all over the place. Yes. That's, that's moisture that you're losing because you cut into that meat too early and then you froze it, which, you know, breaks even more cells. Um, and so whenever we want to make a good venison burger, we would just take a piece of roast and then thaw it a little bit and then grind it. And that way, you know, fresh ground meat isn't watery compared to ground meat that's been pre-frozen. Well, um, you might have fixed a huge problem for me here. Thank you for that. Yeah. You're yeah. Right. I, you're, you're literally doing this right before you're going to make the burgers, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, the, the day, the same day, you know, it's not like you have to do it right before you cook it, but you know, you, um, yeah, take that meat out, um, in the, in the morning and then come home and, and, uh, you know, grind it whenever it's good for you. And, you know, I think that should fix your problem a little bit there. Thank you. Uh, and I'm assuming the same thing applies if you're going to make sausage. I don't know if you make your own sausage, but I'm assuming that's a similar concept. Um, with sausage, I can't really give you any good advice there because I, we don't really make sausages, but I think sausage is a different animal than like eating basically a steak burger. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't think with sausage, it's going to be a huge deal because you're mixing it so much and then you're curing it. I, I don't, I mean, do you have issues when you make sausage with the same uh, meat that you use for your burgers? Well, we're just starting to experiment with sausage. We've, we've never had the time because that takes some time to, to make, grind and prepare it, but uh, we're going to get into it. And so uh, looking to the experts, the two of you, I thought I'll see if you have any tips, but that's something we are looking to move into. And, and there's yeah. a couple of reasons behind that because, you know, sausage maybe isn't the most healthy thing, but you can, when you make your own, a lot of things you can cut out of it. 
Let's right. use salt, for example. We eat mostly a salt-free diet. If you go in the grocery store and buy salt, uh, excuse me, sausage, you can't get any sausage that doesn't have salt in it or sugar right. for that matter. So it's something well, we want to look I, I honestly, at. I honestly don't think sausage would be a big deal because you're, you know, it's going to be cooked through basically. Um, and even with, with dishes like casseroles and, and chili, you mm-hmm. can just, you can just use pre-ground frozen burger. It's not a big deal. Um, Cause it's going into a wet environment anyway. But with, uh, if you're gonna, if you want a really good medium venison burger, then I would suggest uh, grinding that later. I think along the lines with a sausage, first thing I would do, I've got the pre-ground burger. I would take a roast or another cut and, and grind it then. Do them side by side. You know, try it with the ground, try it with the other and see how they come out. Is there any really big difference to it? You know, do you have much more moisture than the pre-ground one than you do with the other one? You would have to probably take a little bit of experimentation. That'd be the first thing I would do. No, that's great. I'm looking forward to, to trying it uh, with Allison and we'll, we'll see what we can come up with. I'll get back and let you know if we have some success there. We'll be trying the burgers now that you gave me that tip. So thank you. Now, um, the other thing I want to ask you, and I'd like both of you to answer this one, whether it's your recipe or anybody else's recipe, what's the best dish you've ever had made with venison? Oh boy, oh boy. Um, again, that they were not to be redundant or what have you. I just, especially this kind of weather, the colder time of year and stuff. I love the Oso Bucos. I love that neck that she does too. They're just, it's to me, it's the ultimate comfort food. Um, and that makes everything even better there. I think you have the, um, the emotional feel as well as the taste and everything to it. I just love those pieces uh, so much. And um, I don't know if Jen, you have an absolute favorite. Uh, she does make some great tacos. Um, that is really good too, uh, Buria tacos. And um, it's just a fantastic dish any time of the year. Um, obviously those are great, uh, but I think one of the, one of my favorite uh, things to do with venison is to make tartare, which is a, uh, a raw meat dish made of ground or or uh, finely, finely diced meat with uh, herbs and spices or whatever. I like juniper berry, a little bit mustard, shallot in it. And then you serve it on a baguette and have it with a glass of wine and it's great. I think if, if you're brave enough to uh, venture into that, um, tartare is such a great way to highlight the gamey taste of venison. And I say gamey in a positive way. I think people misuse the word gamey a lot. Um, the word gamey to me means something that's more flavorful, something, you know, meat that, that was raised wild and, and um, it's going to taste different from domestic. Um, it no, by no means something that tastes off, you know, gamey shouldn't be associated with, with meat that wasn't taken care of, you know, and people, people kind of misuse that word quite a bit. Um, so yeah, that's one of my favorite dishes is venison tartare. And uh, I, I hope you don't mind me asking, but I want to back up and talk about those tacos for a minute. Cause you know, much like stews, there's so many different kinds of tacos. 
I don't want to assume that you're talking about, and you may very well be ground ground meat tacos, but talk a little bit about those tacos. Like, what do you think? Okay. What kind of peppers you use? What kind of meat? I'd love to learn more because uh, tacos are a favorite that almost everybody loves. Yep. So uh, the venison burrito tacos that we make, we I use either the shank or the shoulder or the neck for that because um, because of, of all the connective tissue is great for slow cooking as we mentioned before, um, and it's slow simmered in kind of a sauce made of a lot of smoked peppers like guajillo and poblano peppers um, uh-huh. have been dried and smoked. And then make a to make a, uh, a really delicious kind of cooking liquid that's not spicy, just really flavorful, but not spicy. Um, there's a little bit of vinegar, some cinnamon, cumin in it. Um, then it's slow cooked for a really long time until the meat is tender and you pull that meat out, you shred it up, and then you take your tortillas and fry it a little bit in lard to get it to crisp up a little bit. And then you uh, obviously fill your tacos with the meat and onions, cilantro, whatever. And then you use the, the juices that you cook the meat in and dunk your taco in with every bite. And it's just phenomenal. It's a great it, it, dish. It sounds amazing. So I'm going to ask you, can I go onto your website and print that yes. one out? Is that one of the ones yes, you've listed? On there. Yep. We'll be making that within the next week. That's, that's just so exciting. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it is fantastic. And like she said, it's not super spicy, hot kind of thing. A lot of people can't handle it. And they think of something Mexican food is going to be too hot for me to eat or what have you. It's going to give me indigestion or whatever it may be. But this isn't. And it's just so flavorful, like she said. Mm -hmm. Well, the last question I have for for both of you is um, what's the one thing you have to have in your kitchen, whether it's a spice, an ingredient? or maybe even a utensil when you're working with Benson. You absolutely just cannot be at without it because you use it in most dishes or for most dishes. You got something that you have to open a cabinet and get it out? Um, must have ingredient. Mm-hmm. Hard one. Well, I mean, I'll I tell see, you, we can salt. Can <laughs> yeah, the, your basic <laughs> salt there, you know, everything kind of does have some amount to it. Oh boy, because we do stuff from just all over. It's really hard to say any basic one. I mean, other than the basic salt or and or pepper, which you know you can use in anything. But um, boy, oh boy, I don't know. There we go. We always try and keep a little bit of duck fat on hand. Um, it's just great for browning meat in, and just great for anything really that it could substitute any kind of fat, any, any oil that you can use. Um, and the flavors, very good too. Adds, always adds to it, never takes away. Yeah, I don't. You know, it's just like I said, because of our, all these dishes that we do international, you're gonna find different things everywhere. So we don't have something that we and, do and all we, the time. And our pantry is huge. We have spices from all over the world so. yeah we're, we're the same way i mean we had to yeah. start years ago ordering on amazon until you start finding in the different stores around here one time you put mm-hmm. maybe much like where you live now so you brought up another thing that i have to ask you do you do a lot of searing of meat like when you're working with roasts and stuff you do do you sear that to, to sear some of that flavor and if you're working yeah. with a venison roast yeah. is that an important uh-huh. technique you don't just maybe throw it in the oven right away yes and that is why i'm not a huge fan of um 
you know, slow cooker recipes where people just toss in everything. You don't develop flavor that way. Um, what you need to do is you need to sear that meat first in a pan and that, and it doesn't, it doesn't so much um, seal up any juices. That's, that's not a proven thing, but it developed that crust that you're building on the outside of your meat. It's building layers of flavor. And then you, you take that pan that you sear the meat in, you deglaze that pan, and then you add that, and then you add that, um, that sauce or whatever, that glazed liquid that you put into your, um, your soup or your stew. That's another layer of flavor that you're adding. And then I'll do the same thing with my, my vegetables, you know, I'll sweat my vegetables and brown it a little bit first and then put it in the stew instead of throwing everything in raw. You know, that's, it's very important. Well, you've shared a lot of incredible tips Tips here. It's just, you know, I'm excited. I'm, when, I'm, when we're done here, I'm going up and I'm going right up to the, uh, my upstairs computer and I'm right now that recipe for those tacos. So uh, uh, it's time to go grocery shopping in two days. So we'll be, we'll be getting the ingredients that we don't have in the kitchen. But uh, uh, thank you guys both so much, Rick and James, for joining us. Um, everybody's listening. If you have a chance, go check out Good for Hunters. They have, Rick and Jen have a tremendous amount of recipes. You can also order their Hunting for Food cookbook. I believe there's a link right up the website. And you could you could get that, and um, you know, no time in the woods anymore. Now it's time to step in the kitchen. There's a lot you can do with venison if you just stop and take the time. I think of some good recipes. As you mentioned, we talked about rely on some, rely on your ethnic heritage, and look at some of the other recipes that are made around the globe. But you're a great first stop. The, the recipes you have are incredible on that website. So thank you both so much. Um, and uh, happy new year and uh, thanks everybody for listening to the bow hunting podcast we'll see you next time thanks for downloading the peterson's bow hunting podcast all bow hunting all the time pick up the latest issue of peterson's bow hunting magazine on your local newsstand or connect with us online at bowhuntingmag.com